He who shall come will come. Jesus is coming back. And Jesus may well be coming soon. God bless you, Tyler, for blessing our hearts off the scale this morning. Amen. Wow. Well, we are visiting our first church today. We, for our guests, we're in a series called Steeple Chase here at Dorsville. And we are going over the next several weeks, going to visit the churches of the book of Revelation. And the cool part is this will not be a history lesson. It will not be a geographical lesson. It will be a lesson for the church today. And I, guys, I wish I could tell you, um, as your pastor, how much I believe this means to the church today. Not just Dorisville, but to the church today. As we go, we are on a pursuit to learn and to apply. To learn and to apply. You're going to hear in just a moment when he says, if you have ears, hear. There's an urgency there. And there's an urgency because of the one who spoke those words. The, the one that we shall behold. The, the one who, who Revelation chapter 1 that Tyler read is described as this, this wonderful God of ours. With, with eyes like fire and with a tongue like a double-edged sword. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. He speaks to his church. And I pray that we will hear and we will learn and we will apply what he says to us. The church today, and we have a map of the seven churches. The church that we want to visit today is the church at Ephesus. You can see it there on the lower left. It was a seaport town, all right, culturally speaking. And in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 1, we read these words. Write to the church, or write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Let's just pause there. Who is this angel? Well, we pastors love this. Because the angels are certainly messengers. And every commentary I've read, and most theologians would agree, that Jesus is speaking to the pastors of the church. So you now have official scriptural confirmation that myself, Brent, and David are angels. Got it right from the Word of God. But he says to the pastor, to the messenger of the church at Ephesus... What about Ephesus? What's the cultural setting? Well, Ephesus is an ancient city, no longer exists today. But back in the days, it was a, first a Greek city, and then it was a Roman city, a city that had some 250,000 people that lived in it. Its claim to fame is the temple of Armaeus, or Diana is the Greek word for that, and she was the fertility goddess. It was really big business in Ephesus. Um, if you want to know the, where the church started in Ephesus, it's Acts chapter 19. Paul planned it there, and it started over the silversmith getting all fired up because people were getting, uh, getting saved, the gospel was being preached, and their business was declining, so they got really fired up about that. So the economy was based around this one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, this temple of Diana that it was. And so Paul comes in and establishes the church. Um, the book of Ephesians is a must read. As you, as you read through your Bible, if you've not read the book of Ephesians recently, you need to do it. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an easy reading book. It's very applicable to our lives today. And, and we see something, there's a verse there, verse 15 in chapter 1 of Ephesians, that kind of sets the stage um, for where we're going today. We read there these words. Paul speaking. 
This is why, writing to the church at Ephesus, this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. So what is the big two cornerstones, the keynotes of, of Ephesus? Their great faith in God, their, their trust in God, and the fact that it was a church that knew love. Now, 40 years is going to pass. Four decades are going to pass. And now, John, through the revelation of Jesus Christ, Jesus is speaking again to the church at Ephesus. And you're going to be surprised what now Jesus addressed as a problem in the church. So he says to the angel at the church at Ephesus, this wonderful city, this place where, by the way, um, Christians weren't overly popular because it was a very secular city, to the church at Ephesus, the one who holds the seven stars. Now, pause again. You've got to like this. Another acronym or another yeah, acronym pseudonym for the for the stars is the angels. So not only are Brent and I, David, we're angels, but also we're stars. And 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 we're in the hand of Jesus. Just what it says. I'm just passing it on to you. All right. To the seven stars in the right hand and and also who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And we heard from Revelation chapter 1 that the lampstands are the seven churches. So the pattern's the same. Jesus speaks to John. John speaks to the pastors. And the pastor delivers the message to the church. That's the pattern that follows throughout the seven churches. Jesus speaks to John. John gives the revelation uh, to speak to the pastors. And the pastor shares that with the church. And the great part is... He's walking. The one who knows the church better than anyone is Jesus Christ. Now, I'm really going to try to watch the time. I'm just going to give that preference. But I really need to pause here. Because I know in your brain, in your mind, you probably have the idea that when, when Paul or when John writes to the church at Ephesus, in, in, in the English language, we have a tendency to think about a building. If I were to say Dorisville Baptist Church, our first thought is 1300 South Feasel Street, Harrisburg, Illinois. We minister to people on the southwest side of Harrisburg. Okay? But of course you understand, I hope you understand, that when John speaks of and Jesus speaks of the church at Ephesus, he's not speaking about a building. He's speaking about a group of people. Now, in the Bible, in your Bible, the word church that, that we have in our current Bible is ecclesia. Ecclesia. And it means the called out ones. It means congregation. It means a group of people. The word church, in fact, um, I think it was Wesley who tried to correctly translate that back when he was doing his translations a long time ago. And he translated the word ecclesia to mean congregation, which was totally correct. But tradition has taken over and the word church is not a Greek translation. The word church comes from about 300 A.D. It was a German word, kirch. And so that word was used instead of congregation or called out ones. But the correct, from the Greek, the correct translation for what we call church is ecclesia, is the called out ones. So Jesus is speaking to a group of believers in Ephesus. And I believe he's speaking to a group of believers at the Dorisville Baptist called out ones, the church. 
All right. So here he says he starts out once we have the culture, he starts out with a commendation. You'll see this as a pattern. He he addresses the culture and where the church is. And then he gives a commendation and, and commendation. And I tell you guys, any church I know would love to be the church at Ephesus from what Jesus Christ says. Look what he says. He says, I know. And he knows because he walks. When people visit our church, we always want to put our best foot forward. When you come to our house, we want to put our best foot forward. If you really want to know what a person's house looks like, you come in unannounced. Um, if you really want to visit a church, uh, just, just walk in unassumingly and sit on the back row and watch what happens at a church. If you want an honest appraisal of it. Jesus walks among the lampstands and he knows. So he says, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your endurance. And I heard what my brother said, Brother Brent, I think if nothing else, and there's a lot more to be said, but if nothing else, we could line up with the church at Ephesus. Remember what you said, Brent? We are a busy church. If you look at our church calendar, there's lots of activities going on at the Dorisville Baptist Church. And I think Jesus could probably say, I know your works. I know your labor and your endurance. And that you cannot tolerate evil. I hope you know that we are a church that stands on the word of God. I've said it before. If God says so, it's so. If God says no, it's no. We try not to be and will not be a church that it compromises with culture. And that's, again, that's becoming more and more not difficult, but more and more common. As culture has changed in America, more and more churches are becoming culturally sensitive. Henceforth, they change the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you, Pastor, you can't change the Word of God. You can change traditions, you can change man's rules, but you cannot change the Word of God. So, so Jesus says to this church that you cannot tolerate evil. You have, in fact, He says, you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. In other words, they have rightly judged teachers and preachers and find out if they truly are real preachers and teachers of God's Word. And you found them, it says, to be liars. You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name. You've not grown weary. Wow, what a church. What a church. A church that is active in kingdom work. A church that will not subjugate itself to compromise. A church that stands and tolerates many things for the name of God. What a church. But then in verse number 4, we get to a part that we call the correction. The correction. The commendation is wonderful. But there's a problem in the church. And who states the problem? The one who knows. The Lord Jesus Christ says this. But I have this against you. And it's not a strong word. After all that commendation, he doesn't say, um, I have a suggestion about you. You know, um, there, there might be some work that could be done in the church. No, Jesus says, I have this against you. Here's what he says. You have abandoned, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Jesus says, I've got a problem with you. I, there's something I'm against you about. And it's so funny, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't compromise, it wasn't this or that. It was something as simple as, you've abandoned your first love. What's up with that? What's up with Jesus, of all the things that we could have talked about with the church, we talk about a loss of love. You know what's crazy? 
apparently, this is a real common problem. I think it was, I think it was a common problem in the first century. I, I think it's a common problem uh, in Ephesus. In fact, do you remember what I said about Ephesus, uh, Ephesians 1, 15? Great faith in God. They, can I read it again? I know your works, I know your labor, I know your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You have found them to be liars. You have uh, possessed endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and not grown weary. Check! We're still a church of faith. But you remember what verse 15 said? And your love for all the saints. They had not lost their theology. They had lost their love. And you might be tempted to say, what's the big deal? What's up with that? Well, to illustrate that, I'll refer to my wonderful shirt and tie. As I walked in the building this morning, I had the, the largest range of comments about this outfit that I have in 13 years. Now, let me, let me back up. I, this shirt... $6.83. I know someone's going to say, someone's going to say, uh, I know why. <laughs> $6.83. I had to buy the thing, and I happened to like the bright colors even. And, and I got up this morning, and I'm thinking, going, now what tie do I have that matches that? And someone's going to say, I don't know, but you need to keep looking. <laughs> but anyway, so, so I found this tie, you know. And, of course, it's got red. And by the way, the shirt has red. And it's got purple. And, of course, the shirt has purple. The yellow, I think, is the problem. But, but anyway, so I went to... <laughs> one of the problems, okay? So anyway, so I went to my wife. Now, Pooter has incredible fashion savvy. She's got great taste. So I walked in. She was in the bathroom, and the door was open. So I held up this shirt and this tie. I said these words. What do you think? She goes, I like it. I said, you're kidding me. She said, no, I like it. I said, cool. So I got dressed, put on the shirt, put on the tie, walked in the building. And and again, it was really funny. You know, one person said, you're going to make us throw up. (laughs) One person said that it was ugly. And and that's just just the beginning. Now, a few few of y'all said, I like it. To the faithful few, thank you. Yeah, it's not very mean. But here's my point. Here's my point. Here's my point. Here's my point. So I go up to the science school class. And I walk in. I was a little bit late because I talked with Ronnie some things. So I got there. And, and you know, and I got, you can see the eyes. Like, you know, did, did, did he take some pills or something? Does he realize that that doesn't match, you know? And so well, I, I mentioned, you know, about the shirt and tie thing. And here's what Judy said. She said in front of the class, she said, yeah, but the one who matters says it's okay. Because I was contemplating taking the tie off. I said, well, maybe it's going to be a distraction. And I realized if I took the tie off, I may make some of y'all happier or I may offend the one that matters. When it comes to this love deal, it's a really big deal to Jesus. And we either got to decide who we're going to offend or not offend. We need to not offend the one who matters, and that's Jesus Christ. So, so, so what, what, now listen, listen to me, listen to me. This is so huge. I don't care if you think love is a big deal or not. It's a big deal to Jesus. Okay? A big deal to Jesus. And I want to take ten minutes at least 
And I want to take us through some scriptures. I've asked the guys to put them on the screen for us. Because Jesus made no bones about it. Love was a big deal. So some guys come to Jesus. A guy, a Pharisee comes. First, Jesus smacks the Sadducees. And when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had smacked the Sadducees, they said, let us up there. So they go up there and say, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And we find this in Matthew in chapter 22, 36. And here's what Jesus said. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So Jesus says, in in the broad spectrum of life, and the idea of the believer and my ecclesia, my called out ones, here's the deal. We are to, one, love God emphatically. We are to love God with no holes barred. We are just to be engrossed, infatuated with this incredible God that loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. All our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. Totally infatuated with God. But then he says, and the second is what? Like it. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. So when Jesus boiled down theology, and of course all of it's important, but he says this, you've got to love God emphatically and you've got to love people emphatically. That's it. When, when it came down to what is important to Jesus Christ, love God, love people. Would you say that with me, please? Love God, love people. Now, you may say, well, what does it look like to love God? Okay. And um, John fourteen fifteen, a short verse. If you love me, if, if, you, if you're going to love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. So, a person who's emphatically and radically in love with God will be someone who follows his commands. Now, not for the sake of keeping rules. Not at all. But, but we're enamored with God and we want to follow him because of the love he showed on Calvary's cross. If you, if you just follow rules for rules sake, that's called legalism. If you learn rules, okay, that's just Gnosticism. That's knowledge. Okay? And then if you kind of like loosely adhere to the rules, that's called the libertine. That's, that's what we call freedom. I doubt we'd call it freedom. But Jesus says, if you're going to love me, you're going to keep my commands because you love me. If you love me, follow my commands because you love me. Not to keep the rules. Not so you say you know all the rules. Not so you kind of lose it here to the rules. Love me. And then he skips down just a couple of verses down to verse number 21. It says this. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. How about that? Same chapter. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I also will love him and reveal myself to him. So again, Jesus says. Now, this is, by the way, notice this is not like Matthew wrote it down and then Luke wrote it down. Jesus says this like four times. And I'm telling you, you know, Jesus says something once to me that might be important. And two is pretty important. But she said, now, Dwayne, did you understand what I said? That's really important. When Jesus says something three times. It's got to be huge. Some, listen, 
Some of you say, Dwayne, we want to dig deeper into the Word of God. Honey, it gets no deeper than this. I know you say it's simplistic. It gets no deeper than this. Jesus says, if you love me, if you're infatuated with me, if you're intrigued by me, if you want to love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And then he said it again in verse number, number 21. Then he says it again in 23. He says this. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. What beautiful fellowship. What beautiful intimacy. So, so Jesus says, you've abandoned this first love. And that love is based on love God and love people. And if we love Jesus, we are going to keep his commands. Now, would you give an amen to that? Now, the problem is that we have a real tendency to start keeping rules like it's some kind of scoreboard. Like we can add to our salvation, or we can find God's favor, or something. And that is like totally erroneous. It's outside the Bible. God loves you, and will not love you any more or less, regardless of your performance. He loves you. He loves you. And our expression of love is that we obey His commands. Not for the sake of rules. But because we love him. Again, there are things that I do with Judy that I wouldn't ordinarily do because I love her. I've always used the old illustration. You know, my, my version of shopping is to find the $6.83 shirt. I know where the end caps are, baby. We walk into Target. I'll say, I'll see you. Call me when you're ready to go. I go down to electronics first because we all know that's the most important. I hit the end caps. If there's nothing there, I may go over to clothes, do that, and I might hit the shoes, and then I hit hardware. All the end caps. I don't graze those aisles. There's no deals on the regular aisle. Go for the end caps. But sometimes, Miss Judy says, you know, let's go look for a dress or something like that. And sometimes I just voluntarily do it. I actually stay with her. Now listen, I don't, ask me if I'm interested in dresses or, or blouses. Uh, matter of fact, you know, she came home yesterday. Put I'm fixing to break your heart. Hang on, honey. She came home and she was all excited. Oh, what, what, honey, what, what? Oh, we found Taylor a comforter set. Well, I was cool with that. That's all right. And then she started out and she went to, what was that store? Y'all went to, huh? Home Goods. I said, Dwayne, we found a leaf that looks like twigs. It's made out of twigs. I said, really? She goes, oh, oh, oh. And Sarah found this little owl and she's going to take it and put that on the, on the thing that looks like a leaf. And, and Dwayne, I found this squirrel. It's made, it's made out of fiber. So Dwayne, Dwayne, I can't. I had to buy the squirrel. Now I'm looking at her going, in my heart I'm going, what is the big deal here? Am I missing something? But my face didn't say that, did it? My face said, yo, baby, come on. Yeah, we found us a squirrel. Woo, woo. And we got us an owl. Come on. And we got some lead. Yeah. Now why did I do that for? I wasn't deceptive. I, I was at least externally excited because she was excited. The one that we love deserves that. And it's true of Jesus Christ. And when, when Jesus says love is big, yeah, yeah. Not the exclusion of the others, but not omitting the others either. No. You say, well, Dwayne, I got that first part. Well, you got me convinced. If I love God, I'm going to obey Him. And not because I have to, not keep some rules, not gain His favor, just because I love Him. Right on. But then He says these words. 
And this is, this is John 34 and 30, 13, 34 and 35. I give you a new command. Say command with me. I give you a new command. Remember, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Three times. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Now, this is a big deal to Jesus. Not only loving God, but loving people. In fact, I'm going to throw something out to you. I'm not so sure, as your pastor, I'm not so sure you can genuinely love God if you don't love people. You may have some kind of a facade love, maybe kind of like I did with the excitement thing. But I'm not sure you can say, boy, I'm just radically in love with Jesus if you don't love, love people. I, I, here's a new command I give you. You know, um, I want you to love one another. Well, how, how exactly, Jesus? Just as I have loved you, you have the option to love one another. When it's easy, you can love one another. When no one offends you, you can love one another. If they're the right skin color, you can love one another. If they're the right economic status, you can love one another. If they smell good, you can love one another. If they don't do drugs, you can love one another. If they don't have an alcohol problem, you can love one another. I didn't see any of that, did you? It seems like he said, love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. And do you understand that you've done nothing to merit God's love? Do you understand that? Do you understand that, that God doesn't love you because of performance? He can't. He, he can't and you can't. But as Christ has loved us, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And watch this. This is so cool. Verse 35. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Not if you keep the rules, not if you go to church, not if you have a deep knowledge of the Word of God, if you love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciple. You're a Christ follower by the way you love one another. This is a big deal to Jesus. Huge. So big that in spite of all the commendation, great schedule, busyness, all these things, theology... He said, I've got, some, I've got a problem. You don't love people. And because you don't love people, you really can't love me. You've got to love. You've got to love people. So, what do we do? This is, so, this is wonderful. Look at verse 5. Remember then how far you have fallen. Remember. Go back. He tells the church of Ephesus, in their case, go back 40 years. Because when Paul wrote about, you know, uh, this is why, since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks for you, 40 years. So he's, Jesus is saying, go back, Ephesus, to 40 years ago and love like you did then. You had a love that made headlines. People talked about the church at Ephesus. Now, people talk about churches today. But it's not about love. It's about, can you believe? And what about this? And what about that? And that person? And that preacher? And that deacon? Can you believe? Go back to a time when the church, they talked about the church. And what they talked about was, is how they loved people. 
That's your target. That's your goal. And Dorisville, you know I love you. And I think, and I'm not saying it's because I'm a pastor. I just happen to believe we're an incredible church. You know, our, our bolt stool on the right bolt in so many areas. But this is one area I'll look you dead in the eye and tell you this. We need to work on this one. We need to work on loving one another. I think you talked about that while I was gone, didn't you? We need to love one another. Well, well Dwayne, why? Because it's important to Jesus. Because it's important to Jesus. And that silly world out there just keeps looking at us going, you know, it's cool that they, the parking lot's full. It's cool this. But what's even cooler is that they love one another. They love one another. So, so hugely important. So remember then how far you've fallen and then you repent. It means you're going this way and you turn around and you go this way. It means we're not loving and we choose. See, that's what you understand about love. Do you know love is a choice? Yeah. Love is a choice. It's not an emotion. It's a choice. And that person that's over here, over here, that you can't stand, you can choose to love them. And, and, and you guys that's got somebody over here, it's a choice. But Dwayne, they're not worthy. You weren't worthy. You weren't worthy. But Jesus chose to love you. So we choose to lose, to, to love. Um, olders can choose to love youngers. You know, we talked a lot about in our class about the millennial generation. They got different core values. Things are so different. You know, and I'm, I'm somewhere in between. I think I'm not a millennialist. I'm not officially the, the, uh, the greatest generation. So I'm somewhere in the middle. But you know what? Love will hold us together. Love will hold us together. When we walked in this room, I could feel it. I could feel, Tyler, where you at? I could feel the electricity, dude. As you sang, I could just feel this crowd pulling together. And what pulled us together? We shall behold Him, Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than anything that would tear us apart. How awesome, how powerful. He says, remember from where you've fallen, repent, and what? Do the works you did at first. Love like you did when you first got saved. Love like you did when you first got saved. And here's the scary part. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand um, from its place unless you repent. Now, I'm going to tell you something. A church without love is something. But I'm not sure it's a church. Let me say it again. A church without love is something, but I'm not sure it's a church. And notice Jesus says this. Jesus said, if you don't get this love thing nailed down, I'll take out the lampstand. That, that could be witness, it could be testimony, but the lampstand represents the church. I wonder how many people meet on Sunday morning in a building and think they're going to church. And Jesus pulled out the lampstand. Woo. Guys, this is big, big, big stuff. I hope God never incubates Dorsal Baptist Church. And the danger is love. We've got to love God emphatically and radically, and we've got to love each other fanatically and radically. And you didn't have to be perfect for God to love you, and they don't have to be perfect for you to love them. That's the way it is. It binds us, it binds us together. And then verse 6, he, he throws something we don't really know a whole lot about, I've got to be honest with you. Verse 6, he says, yet you do have this. He like throws another commendation out. 
He says, you, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And it's only mentioned in the book of Revelation, it's talking about the churches twice. We have no idea. But one commentator said it could have been believers who had compromised with the world, who had sold out to the world. I don't know, so I'm going to tell you I don't know. But I do know this, they hated it and Jesus hated it. I do know that. And then he closes with this. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor, the believer, the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. And in other words, he's saying this. A birthmark of your being a believer is your love. I will give them the right to eat the tree of life. That represents eternal life. The tree of life who ate from that lived forever. He says, I will give you eternal life. And the birthmark of that eternal life is your love for God and for others. If you've got time, go to 1 John chapter 3, I believe it is. And he says this, if you don't love your brothers, you're not born again. Love is a birthmark of who we are. How radical is that? And then he says this. I'll get the victory right to eat and from the tree of life, which is God's paradise, which is heaven. Which is heaven. So, real quick question. What does love look like? What does love look like? Where else could we go but 1 Corinthians 13? And I'm not going to preach it. I'm just going to read it. Read the first couple, three verses. And it tells you, if I do this and don't have love, if I do this and don't have love, if I do this and don't have love, if I do this and don't have love... I'm a sounding gong, a clanging cymbal. What if I get my body to be burned and don't have love? It's nothing. Here's what love. In case you're going, what? what? Blank. I love my brothers. Okay, well, let's see. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not conceited. It does not act improperly. It's not selfish. It's not provoked. And, oh, I like this one. And does not keep a record of wrongs. See, some of you have a problem loving people because something happened 15 years ago. And you won't let it go. And you won't let it go. If you're going to love like the Bible says love, you can't keep that record of wrong. Can I have an amen? You've got to let it go. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Um, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It, it bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. Love never ends. That's what love looks like. Now remember, we're here to pursue, to chase. We're here to learn and to apply. So what's the bottom line? What's the challenge? My challenge is this. As your pastor... I thank God for the Dorsville Baptist Church. I would, I would say yay. But we have got some work to do. And I think just like the church of Ephesus, we need to love people more. We need to love the ones sitting next to us in this building and love the people outside those doors. I've said this now about seven times. Um, Rachel Paris said something to me in my office. We were talking one day. And she said something I thought was very, very powerful and particularly appropriate since next week is back to school. And we'll be ministering to some folks outside of our, our church community. A lot of them will be lost, by the way. And she said, Dwayne, we minister to people like that, but do we accept them? 
Let me put it, may I put it in context of what I just said? Dwayne, we minister to people like that in that, in that group. But do we love them? Are we patient with them? Are we kind to them? Are we humble with them? Do we open, are, are we open-handed or selfish? Do we keep a record? We helped them last year, I remember. <laughs> Love keeps no record of wrongs. That's the bottom line. The challenge. Jesus says this is huge. And whatever's huge to Jesus should be huge to us. Now give me two minutes. Someone sitting here today and you're hearing this, you're going, wow, that's pretty cool teaching. But you've really never experienced God's love for yourself. You may have gone to church, but you've never come to a point in your life when you understand that what happened 2,000 years ago on that Roman cross was all about you. That you were one of the ones, when, when John 3.16 said that God loved the world, you were in that world. And that there is a man named Jesus Christ, a historical figure, a fig, a figure who is the Son of God, God in the flesh. Prove that, by the way, by resurrecting on the third day. This is not some make-up concoction. It's historical fact that Jesus Christ resurrected. And he died on a Roman cross because God said that you have sinned and I have sinned and that the wages of sin was death. And Jesus said, I will die physically and spiritually so you can live physically and spiritually. How cool is that? The furthest thing from religion and denomination is that Roman cross. And what happened on that Roman cross? And my friend Brent's going to be standing down front in a moment. And if you've never heard the truth about, you mean God could love me? You mean God's willing to forgive me? You mean I, you mean I could call God Father? Yeah. Yeah. If, you, if that's new to you and you want to know more about that, my friend Brent will be standing down front. Stand by hand and say, okay, Dwayne said you knew somebody who could help me understand this. And we'll take as much time as necessary to explain what God says about holiness and forgiveness and sin and all that. We'll be glad to answer your questions. But brothers and sisters, what's a big deal to God ought to be a big deal to us. Say it with me, please. What's a big deal to God should be a big deal to us. Love God radically and fanatically. Love each other radically and fanatically. Let's pray. Wow, Father, what an opportunity. And I want to thank you for the privilege of mine to stand on this platform today and share your truth and word. And God, long before it spoke today, it spoke in my heart. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you love us that way. Thank you so much. May we emphatically and radically love you. And may it be demonstrated by, by obedience, including the one that says, love one another. Because there's a world out there who's just dying to know you're real. And the most dynamic evidence of that is when we love people who may be difficult to love. Sometimes, even within our own family. Father, for my friend here today who has never come to relationship, who, who, who God can't call you Father, would you give them the courage to step out for all these people, come down and take Brent by the hand and say, okay, I just need some information. And give us the honor of sharing about you to that person. We love you, Jesus. Help us to learn. Help us to apply today. We pray in your precious name. Amen.